Hello, and welcome to AJC Passport, brought to you by AJC, the diplomatic arm of the Jewish community. Each week, we'll chat with experts from around the world to help you better understand the week's headlines and what they all mean for Israel and the Jewish people. I'm your host, Sefi Kogan. Last Saturday, 11 Jews were murdered while they worshipped in Pittsburgh's Tree of Life congregation in the worst anti-Semitic attack in our country's history. I simply have no words to describe this unspeakably evil attack. It represents in many ways not just the deaths of 11 people, sons and daughters, mothers and fathers, aunts and uncles, grandparents and great-grandparents, but also the death of American Jewish innocents. It has happened here. What choices will we Americans make to ensure that it doesn't happen again? In the hours after the attack, AJC launched our Show Up for Shabbat campaign, encouraging people around the world, not just Jews, to attend synagogue this weekend, November 2nd and 3rd, to honor the memories of the deceased and to show that we will not be afraid to show that we stand together. Joining us now to talk about Show Up for Shabbat is Avi Mayer, AJC's Managing Director of Global Communications. Avi, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Tell me, do you think you're going to find yourself in a synagogue this weekend? (laughs) Well, I find myself in a synagogue pretty much every weekend, um, but I will put a special effort in this weekend, uh, like many thousands around the world who will be participating in this remarkable campaign. Why is this kind of a response so important? Well, I think the power of this response is that it gives people something to do. Um, I think a lot of folks are fed up with platitudes, expressions of sympathy. They want to have something tangible that they can do to respond to this horrific attack uh, this past Saturday in Pittsburgh. And from what I'm hearing from not only Americans and people around the world is that they feel a need to actually leave their homes and participate in something that's larger than themselves. Uh, and the way that they have chosen to do that is by signing on to this remarkable campaign. And do we feel that there's been a, a good response from the general population? I would say that the response has been far and beyond anything we could ever have imagined. Uh, what started as an idea to get a few more Jews into synagogues this weekend has turned into really a worldwide movement of individuals of all faiths, of all backgrounds, uh, from senators and celebrities to run-of-the-mill Twitter users saying that they too will come out uh, and identify and express solidarity with their local Jewish communities. Um, I would say that this is something that has become um, absolutely a mainstream movement. We've seen uh, mainstream publications like the New York Times and CNN covering it. I expect others will as well. Um, And I expect that in the coming days, we'll see just how remarkable this has been as synagogues across the country and around the world um, are filled this coming weekend. You know, Avi, there's that old saw, two Jews, three opinions. But this campaign is actually catching on among a pretty wide range of Jews, right? I have to say, I, I was sort of taken aback by that as well. What we've seen is a cross-communal movement uh, of individuals from Orthodox 
to conservative, reform, reconstructionist, unaffiliated, people who identify openly as atheists, saying that they too will join this movement. Um, we have the actual denominations, the Orthodox Union, the Reform Movement, the Conservative Movement, all saying that they'll be on board. Um, and I have to say, it, it's heartening to see this happen at a time like this, and I would hope that we can come together at happier times as well. In your past life uh, working for the Jewish Agency for Israel, you spent a lot of time in Europe supporting uh, the Jewish communities there and also helping European Jews who were interested in uh, making Aliyah to Israel do so. Um, I want to focus on what this attack in Pittsburgh means for Jews in America. Are we now facing the same kinds of problems that the Jewish communities in Europe face? Look, anti-Semitism is a problem that has very deep roots and sadly does not look as though it's going to go away anytime soon. Uh, certainly, we have ebbs and flows in different places, and the focus in recent years has been on Europe, particularly France and the UK. Um, and I think we do see disturbing developments in the United States as well. I don't anticipate that we will have a mass movement of Jews from the United States to Israel, as we've seen from France. I don't think that that's in the offing, but I do think we need to remain ever vigilant um, and do whatever we can to uproot these phenomena in our society as soon as they rear their ugly heads. And I think that's what this movement is about today. What happens on Sunday once tens of thousands, perhaps hundreds of thousands of people who wouldn't ordinarily be in synagogue this week show up to their synagogues around the world? What is AJC doing on Sunday? Well, that's something that we're actually developing as we speak. We have several proposals on the table, and we're trying to figure out how we build on this momentum going forward. But I think that this is an opportunity to open a much broader conversation about how we create a national discourse that's marked by civility and moderation rather than by uh, extremes and calls of violence. I think that this is the time. We have an election coming up in just a few days. Um, it is up to our national leadership on all levels, um, of both parties and none, to raise their voices for a civil discourse, for a national conversation that certainly doesn't shy away from the things that divide us, but also focuses on the things that bring us together. And I think that that is the, the, you know, the call of the hour, I would say. And I think that that will be our call going forward as well. Avi, senators, members of Congress, ambassadors, famous actors, Super Bowl hero Julian Edelman, synagogues of all affiliations from literally all around the world. This is pretty darn heartwarming, right? What does this all mean to you? Look, I, I have to say it really is incredible just sitting on my Twitter account and scrolling through the number of people who are using the hashtag Jews and non-Jews. Uh, people from all over the world think that they'll be coming out. I have to say, if you go onto Facebook and just type in show up for Shabbat, you'll see the, the number of posts that people are putting up, synagogues, church groups, uh, Christians, Muslims, people of all faiths and all backgrounds saying that they'll be participating in this. And again, I, I think it is tremendously heartening that we are able to bring about this movement at a time like this. Uh, but I would also like to say that this is something that we should be doing at all times, and we shouldn't take a horrific attack and a mass murder to bring our country together. Um, now that sounds trite, and it sounds like uh, sort of boilerplate platitudes, but I think that that's something that we really all need to bear in mind, especially as the divisions in our country appear to be growing 
deeper and not narrower. I have to say the caricature of Twitter is that of a constant dumpster fire filled with a peculiar mix of anger, schadenfreude, hatred, and all kinds of other, you know, really, really despicable stuff with, with just the occasional, you know, cat picture coming through to, to keep us happy. I really want to applaud you and your whole team and, and really all of our colleagues and so many people all around the world for turning Twitter into something a little bit more beautiful this week. Avi, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Steffi. There was a political upheaval in the largest country in South America this past week as Jair Bolsonaro took 55% of the vote in the second round of Brazil's presidential election. Bolsonaro will now become the leader furthest to the right in Latin America. He has used the rhetoric of a rising authoritarian, saying that he plans to appoint military leaders to top government posts and announcing a plan to pack the courts with right-wing ideologues. And he has been outspoken in his hatred for gay people and his belief that women are not equal to men. Nevertheless, in a country racked with crime, he was seen by the majority of the electorate as the best option. Joining us to help us understand this electoral earthquake and what it means for the Jewish community of Brazil, not to mention Brazil's relationship with the U.S. and Israel, is Fernando Lautenberg, the leader of the Confederation of Jewish Communities of Brazil. Fernando, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. I think the place to start, Fernando, is to understand a little bit about Jair Bolsonaro. Who is he and why do people view him as controversial? Well, uh, Mr. Bolsonaro is a reformed captain from the Brazilian army. Uh, He has been in Congress as a member of the House for about 25 years. And he hasn't been so far someone in the upfront. He was someone in the backwards of the parliament. He hasn't been a member especially noted for uh, propositions of for participation in House commissions. But he has risen to the occasion in, during this campaign. That's really interesting that you say that he's someone who doesn't have, you know, too many um, political or governing successes behind him. Because one of the things that we've seen with populist candidates in general, you know, Donald Trump in the U.S. obviously had no political background whatsoever. A polar opposite example, Jeremy Corbyn from the far left in the U.K. is someone who uh, who was also a, a political backbencher for a very long time, who didn't really do much in the legislature and now has has this massive kind of populist fervor behind him. So do you think there's something to it that people without these kind of credentials are finding more success in our current political environment across the globe? Yes, I think we can say that. The fact is that his agenda uh, became very popular today. Uh, Brazil, I think the Brazilian population has gotten tired of corruption issues, and he has appeal in security issues too, and he managed somehow to grasp this need for renewal, this anti-establishment trend, and he surpassed many other candidates that were running for office too. So the answer is yes. I think he answered to this 
need and he found a way to convey this message to the constituents. And ultimately, in the runoff, in the final round of the presidential election, the choice came down to the far left or the far right, right? It was, it was a very polarized election. Is that right? I don't think you can say far left or far right. I think you can say center left or moderate left and the right. I think he's being uh, depicted uh, more to the far right than he really is uh, by the foreign press. Uh, I think uh, that people wanted strong messages, right or wrong. I think the, the Labour Spark has had in Brazil a traditional constituency that it's regardless of the candidates that run for office in uh, about 20 to 30 percent in the first uh, round. And then in the second round, Mr. Haddad managed to arrive to 44 to 45 percent. And I think this runoff, as in other countries, uh, has served uh, as a way to moderate the position of both candidates in order to get more uh, constituents from the center or from the moderates who didn't have uh, their first choice uh, or some choice in the runoff. Fernando, you said that his election sends a strong message or that people wanted to send us a strong message with his election. What message is that precisely? What were the kind of issues that drove Jair Bolsonaro to the top? I think, first of all, is the an appeal to the security that you do have a problem, especially in big cities and also in the farmlands regarding security, uh, about homicides and about thefts that uh, he has promised to face it in a more, in a stronger way than it has been. Uh, the issues of corruption we had in Brazil, I think everybody, even in U.S., is aware of what's called here the car wash operation, Lava Jato, which has uh, kind uh, had a sweeping effect on the political leadership taking many important people from the politics and from business uh, to jail and people being sued, people who had never been depicted or been present as defendants in court. This is a thing that made a, had a big importance with uh, the population who didn't want the, the old elite. And this is not only in the presidency, but also in state government and in the House and in the Senate, uh, Mr. Bolsonaro managed to take a lot of people that shared his conservative ideas and conservative values and establishment values to these places. And last but not least, uh, he has a message of economic reform. Uh, market-driven uh, government and free market politics that uh, has an appeal to many people, especially in the elite. 
I want to turn now to talk a little bit about the Jewish community and the reaction uh, within the Jewish community. Um, well, first, the opinion of the Jewish community toward Mr. Bolsonaro and now their reaction after his victory. But first, can you tell our listeners a little bit about the Jewish community? How many are you? Where are you located? Are you mostly in Rio and Sao Paulo? Is it more diverse than that? Okay. Thank you for the opportunity to share this information with your listeners. Uh, Brazil has a traditional Jewish community. The first Jews came to Brazil with the conquistadores, with the Portuguese uh, that came in the 1500s. But as an organized community, it has been more present since the end of the 19th century. Uh, Firstly, in the Amazon with the Moroccan immigration, and later on to Sao Paulo, Rio, south of Brazil. And we have now uh, the ninth or the tenth uh, largest Jewish community in the world, with about 120,000 people. Uh, Half of them are in Sao Paulo. The second largest community is in Rio. But our institution, CONIBE, which is the umbrella organization of the Jewish community, has 14 uh, federations and associations in many Brazilian states. So this community is very participant in the political life in Brazil. And as the whole society has passed these elections with many divisions and with many points of view. So we had people who were supporting Mr. Bolsonaro, people who were against him and supporting other candidates from the center to the left. And I think uh, our task now is to uh, rebuild our unity and work together with the new government, despite what happened during the elections. I think the elections are gone. Uh, We are a nonpartisan organization like AJC is. (laughs) And we, during these elections, we have had a position that was published in a position paper, what we called a letter of principles and values that were delivered to both candidates that arrived to the runoff. So in this letter, we mentioned our concerns about democracy, about due process of law, about protection to minorities, combating anti-Semitism, the relationship with Israel. So this goes regardless of the candidate who would win. Since Mr. Bolsonaro is the elected president, we want to work with him to enforce those issues as we have worked with previous governments to put the sword and build a better situation for the Jewish community in Brazil and protect its security and its well-being. Fernando, you mentioned that like AJC, Coniba is a uh, is a nonpartisan organization. Well, you know, we certainly are nonpartisan, but I happen to know that somewhere between 70 percent and 80 percent of American Jews voted for Hillary Clinton and that, you know, the approval ratings in the Jewish community for Donald Trump now are not especially high. That doesn't mean that we're not, you know, actively seeking to work with him and, to, you know, bring him around on our issues. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure it's it's the same in Brazil that, that you are eager to work with the people in power to advance your policy aims. But do you have a sense of, you know, where does the majority of the 
Brazilian Jewish community fall out? You know, how many of them were in support of Bolsonaro? Are people now resigned to his being the leader? Or do you expect, you know, more division in the Jewish community? We don't have a, a research uh, to tell you uh, how many voted for this or that. What we saw, especially in the first term, uh, was a diversity uh, for the, I think we had 15 candidates, I don't know how many, people who were traditionally close to our community and candidates and people who had their stance or affiliation or loyalty to some parties. Uh, we don't have the same uh, picture that you uh, showed about Democrats and Republicans. I think uh, the vote here, if I may say, is that it followed the socioeconomic affiliation of the Jewish community as the whole society. And in this election, uh, Bolsonaro had the majority of the Brazilian society, though it was not a, a landslide victory, it was a 55 to 45. So I think uh, our job now has to be, as I mentioned before, to unite the community and try to bring everybody together, try to leave the campaign behind us, and try to find the issues that uh, really can advance our teams, our, the items on our agenda that are important. So the issue of the relationship between Brazil and Israel, and also internal issues such as democracy, human rights, protection to minorities, we work, for instance, just for you to know, we have a seat in the government council for the promotion of racial integration and advancement that deals with minorities. As the Jewish community, we have a seat there. So if he maintains that uh, policy, we will keep working that. We have been reconducted this very last month of October to our seat. So uh, our agenda is not limited to the issues uh, that relate to Brazil and Israel. We also have an interest as Brazilians, as members of the Brazilian society, to see our country thriving, uh, to see uh, democracy being reaffirmed. Uh, don't forget that, for instance, we had democracy only for 33 years, and uh, presidential elections, and the presidents who were elected, two of them were ousted by impeachment, one of them is in jail, and the current president, who was the vice president, was there were two attempts to remove him from office. So uh, this is not uh, something that we can take it for granted, and our community may be sure that we'll be very attentive to preserve the conquests that the freedom of expression and the freedom of teaching that were very hard for us to have here. And among the things you mentioned as priorities of the Brazilian Jewish community was Brazil's relationship with Israel. And Jair Bolsonaro has been very outspoken in his support for Israel, in saying that he would be interested in moving uh, Brazil's embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. What do you see as the future of the Brazilian-Israeli relationship? I think the, the prospects seem very positive. Uh, he has indeed said that for many times during the campaign. Uh, he has reinforced this 
in this uh, morning we see Israeli newspapers who have interviewed him confirming not only the issue of the embassy uh, but also the Brazilian position in international forums like the United Nations, the Council for Human Rights, uh, where we have been uh, fighting for many years trying to balance the Brazilian position that has been, especially in the, when the PT was in power, uh, unbalanced in, against Israel. Despite the fact that Mr. Lula da Silva visited Israel during his term, which was the first time that a Brazilian president in office did that, the position uh, that Brazil held in international forums was a very, uh, in our as we saw that, very unbalanced. So we think now that the shift, there will be a shift in these issues. And I think uh, we believe that Brazil and Israel have common interests, shared values, complementary economic issues that we can uh, improve and develop. And we don't see why it shouldn't go into that direction. So we're going to wait, uh, see uh, after he takes office, uh, who is going to assign for the Ministry of Foreign Relations. Uh, but we have been working together uh, with the Brazilian government in this direction since uh, for many years. So let's wait and see. We have a positive expectation. Well, Fernando, thank you for joining us and thank you for your longtime friendship with AJC. Thank you very much. Now it's time for our closing segment, Good for the Jews, where each week I share one final thought about a recent development in the world and try to answer that age-old question. Is it good for the Jews? Sanctuaries. Good for the Jews? A synagogue is made up of many rooms. There's the social hall where congregants gather on Shabbat morning after prayers conclude and where generations of 12- and 13-year-old bar and bat mitzvahs have embarrassed themselves on the dance floor. There's the rabbi's office, where members of the flock, as individuals, couples, or families, have sought counsel from the man or woman who guides their community. There's the study hall, where the more academic have turned religious texts over and over, seeking and perhaps finding new wisdom in ancient books. And there's the sanctuary. It was into the sanctuary of Pittsburgh's Tree of Life or the Simcha congregation that a murderous anti-Semite burst on Shabbat morning, armed to the teeth and enraged by the knowledge that Jews actively welcome immigrants and refugees to the United States. Wielding an AR-15-style rifle, he murdered 11 congregants. May their memories be a blessing. The Hebrew term for a sanctuary is a Beit Knesset, literally a gathering house. Well, my friends, let us gather. Because more than it is made up of rooms, a synagogue, a Jewish community is made up of people. I can think of no better response to such a heinous violation of the sanctity of a synagogue than to encourage people around the world to seek spiritual sanctuary in their sanctuaries and to do so proudly and without fear. Because you don't have to follow Jewish religious practices or believe in God to believe in the power of community. 
We should pack the pews this coming Shabbat, raising our voices in prayer, listening to our rabbis and rejoicing with our friends, and we should be public about it. If you attend the kind of synagogue where a cell phone wouldn't be out of place, post a selfie and use the hashtag show up for Shabbat. If phones are off limits for you, then tell your friends you're going before Shabbat and post a reflection afterward. The doors of synagogues are open to all. If you consider yourself an ally of the Jewish people, join us in synagogue on Saturday morning. There is only one proper response to people who hate Jews. We must show them what we stand for. Ve'ahavta l'reacha kamocha. Love your neighbor as you would want to be loved. Friends, your Jewish neighbors have stood with you before. Please show up for Shabbat and sit in our sanctuaries with us now. Because sanctuaries are good for the Jews. You can subscribe to AJC Passport on iTunes or on Stitcher. Follow us on SoundCloud or learn more at AJC.org Passport. The views and opinions of our guests don't necessarily reflect the positions of AJC. We'd love to hear your views and opinions or your questions. You can reach us at passport at AJC.org. If you like this podcast, be sure to rate it and write a review to help more listeners find us. Thank you for listening. I'm your host, Sefi Kogan. This episode is brought to you by AJC, the American Jewish Committee. Our producer is Alex Zeldin. Our sound engineer is TK Broderick. Tune in next week for another episode of AJC Passport.